1: Talk about a wicked wild ride Bitcoin today, Tim.
0: Yeah, whipsawing. I mean, it was down, down just north of $30,000 at one point around 9 o'clock this morning shooting back up to $40,000 uh, just a little later in the day.
1: Yeah, if you bought at the lows and just kind of rode it up today, not a bad day. Hey, listen, uh, it's something I talked about big time with ARC Invest. Kathy Wood, we're going to hear from her a little bit later on on our show at the top of the hour. Meantime, looking at the crypto markets always for us. Mike McClone, commodity strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence, sitting right next to me in our Interactive broker studio. <gasps> Where do we begin? How do we tell this story in a
2: smart way? Well, your interview with Kathy nailed it. I thought, stoic, this is a big picture theme. Let the traders beat themselves up. And this is what's happening. They're hitting stops, the speculators, and that's one lesson I learned in trading pits. I'm doing my mini violin right now. There's just no, no, you know, hey, this is what happens. You hit the stops, you flush out the speculators, and you create great levels. And I think that's what happened. Sure, Bitcoin got a little bit too expensive, and I think the thing we're gonna look at from the future is, Dogecoin marked the peak in all the froth in markets. And now we're getting back to good support in Bitcoin. But let's look forward fundamentally. Right. To me, this is a really building the blocks for fundamental support in Bitcoin, i.e. what's happening. We're seeing every asset today is down exceptional one, gold. And why? Because it got too cheap. And what I think is happening now is the market's looking forward. Is this finally a sign of froth coming out of the stock market? And if that's the case, that means much more Federal Reserve easing, much more... Stimulus, which supports gold and Bitcoin and bonds. And I think that's markets going to be looking forward to. Mike, how do you explain just the massive drop that we saw this morning? There were two of them. One
0: happened during the 7 o'clock hour and one happened going into the 9 o'clock hour Wall Street time. I mean, is it realistic to think that that could have been some sort of whale offloading positions?
2: Oh, sure. Well, it's, it's, it's called hitting stops. And as far as who's doing it, I try not to go there because I, I've, in my whole career, I've noticed people trying to beat themselves up and figure out exactly what it is. And by the time you figure it out, it's too late. So I fully suspect it was just the massive, the the, legit, the the overweighted longs, getting hitting stops. As far as a whale, most that I sense from these whales is they don't really care. They don't sell. They don't buy. They just hold. Mm. And that's the big picture one. So people usually claim there's just too few wallets, but a lot of times these are exchanges holding wallet for all their customers. Right, and they're, because they're trading around.
0: one criticism of, of Bitcoin has been it's very highly concentrated among
2: a small number of people. Less so than you hear that hits the tape and it gets readership and people like to hear. It. But the fact is one exchange might have one wallet with dozens, I mean, hundreds and maybe thousands of customers in that one wallet. So it's different. One exchange could be one. And there are tons of people trading in and out. So that's, I think, less important. And then the biggest wallet in the world is Satoshi Nakamoto or, Nakamoto or the so-called pseudonym. And he has a million coins that we understand that have never traded. So that would be something to look forward to. But a lot of times what I see in this is a good way to create demand in the market is to reduce prices. And that's what I think we just did. We tested that, we got to near 30. 30 is about where we ended last year. And I think this quick bounce today is gonna bring out, okay, is this the global digital reserve asset in the world going digital? I think the market is gonna say, yes, it is. What's my risk of not holding versus it doing more of the same, and by the way, We've seen these kind of things for 10 years. It's you know it's keeps surviving the thousand cuts. This is just another cut.
1: What about the, the what we got from China this morning? Kind of pushing back on global currencies. Yeah. <laughs> What's the role of that? It's it's part all? of
2: the new Cold War, I think, brewing. First of all, and it's not Between really the U.S. and China, yes, or China in oh, the world, completely. And what's right in the center of that? Digital reserve assets. So I'll start with the fact: the digitalization of money is enhancing dollar dominance on the world scale. Mm-hmm. And that is driving China nuts because they hate the dollar. And also, now we have an authoritarian, dictatorial economy that is not you know driven by market forces. They can't catch up. That's why they have to steal intellectual property. But the news isn't really new. It just tweaked tweaked what you know was market was ready to hit stops and a key thing to to see to remember in this space if the US does nothing the most widely traded cryptocurrency on the planet is Tether. It's double the volume today mm-hmm. of Bitcoin. That's a digital dollar, which trades on Ethereum platform, which enhances the value of Ethereum. And that's what's happening. If the US does nothing, by the way, the toothpaste is already out of the bottle in the US. We're not going to cramp down like China, but China has to because they need to prevent their citizens from getting access to the internet and getting access to outside of their currency. They have to. Versus the US, we're a free company, right. con- country. So to me, this is part of that, that Cold War kicking in. And the US is already winning
1: still a commodity
2: oh no i so i look at um, you,
1: are you changing because you've called it a commodity oh, right
2: uh, bitcoin yeah no i look at bitcoin as a collectible of
1: oh, a collectible yes okay, it's a collectible still now. a collectible
2: yeah it's oh yes clearly so that's a key difference about bitcoin and every other asset the rules of economics still favor bitcoin it is you know demand is still increasing and the supply is clearly declining by code that is incorruptible there's not much you can do about that now that's a key difference with the whole broad space which i'll be published on tomorrow. The amount of coins on CoinMarketCap.com is approaching 10,000. That's a lot. (laughs) That might have hit the number of excess froth in space. You know, unlimited supply, ease of entry. Okay, an index, Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index, will have a survivor bias, but Bitcoin is the one that's outside of space. It represents the macro, digital gold, and everything else are just speculative.
1: Ten seconds, are we all going to be dealing in some kind of cryptocurrency at some point in our life?
2: Absolutely, unless you can't expect that trend to stop, it's probably going to accelerate.
1: And if we invest in Tesla or some other companies, we're already in it right.
2: Tesla's down in the year, Bitcoin's up on the year. Ah, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, really right? Really
1: appreciate it. Mike McClone, commodity strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence, Inter Interactive Broker Studio, right? He's like, the guy to have. I'm done. We <laughs> That's go it. Home.
0: We, we go know home. everything about
1: Bitcoin now. We can go home now. This is Bloomberg. I want to talk a little bit about the virus cuz New York state which we know was the original US epicenter of the pandemic reporting tim its lowest infection rates in September but in India daily deaths reached a record they did though report new infections declining from the highs of early May that's good to hear, but they still have a long way to go.
0: Yeah, different stories playing out around the world. Uh, keeping track globally, cases have passed 164.2 million. Deaths has ex- have exceeded 3.4 million.
1: More than 1.51 billion doses have been given of the COVID vaccine. So let's get into it with Dr. Mario Ramirez, an emergency medicine doctor, an entrepreneur, managing director at the nonprofit Opportunity Labs. They are building opportunities for children. He, by the way, was the pandemic and emerging threats coordinator at Health and Human Services during the Obama administration, Dr. Ramirez. on the Phone from Washington DC. Nice to have you here with us. What do you think is the COVID or vaccine headline that we all need to be paying attention to right now?
3: Well, so I think there's two things, Carol. Thanks for having me. By sure, the way, sure. Uh, so the first, uh, you know, that you mentioned at the top of the hour is that uh, you know the pandemic here in the United States is certainly at a different place uh, than the rest of the world, where the situation is still very tenuous. Um, But I think the top line here domestically is that while overall things are going quite well, there is a lot of heterogeneity in the information. Um, So we just got some important information from Johns Hopkins, and we're actually seeing a lot of variability in how the vaccine is rolling out. And because of that, we're actually seeing pretty impressive differences in coronavirus case counts in those areas. So for example, we have seven states where vaccination rates are greater than 70% of the population and case counts are 10% less compared to the national average in those states. But in 10 states where vaccination rates are less than 50% of the population, their counts are 20% higher than the Mm. average. And so what we're starting to see really is increased fragmentation that really brings home the point of how important it is that we try to access those people who are really hesitant about getting vaccinated.
0: So to what extent do you think that opening up and telling those people who have been vaccinated that they don't have to wear masks and they can go back to life as as normal before the pandemic to what extent do you think that actually helps get hesitant people to get vaccinated
3: so my hope is that it is it is helpful you know of course and many people have talked about this is that we do not have a good verification mechanism uh you know we certainly know from game theory and lots of real world examples is that when you when you don't have a way to verify uh you know someone's story that people have a tendency to cheat which is what my you know big concern is um Certainly, I think if we continue to see uh, regional fragmentation of cases, that will create a larger incentive for people to get vaccinated. Uh, but the other thing that I think has a key role here is that as we start to open more businesses up and you know more entertainment venues, there becomes I think a greater need for testing. Uh, and this is something that you know I've advocated for as we start to reopen, particularly on the part of uh, you know employers and groups like the We Act Alliance have stressed the importance that as we start to reopen these places up testing and surveillance becomes that much more important so that we can have a good handle on how these vaccinations are working in the real world.
1: Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting as we make progress, and I was just talking with a colleague, you know, it feels good. And we know that if you've got the vaccine, if you do even still get COVID, you're, you're in a much better position uh, than if you didn't have the vaccine. But yet, we're still learning a lot. Is that fair to say?
3: I think that's true. I mean, the CDC certainly felt comfortable, uh, you know, with the data that they've seen so far that these vaccines are working well in the real world. Uh, But the other piece of that, right, is that we continue to collect information and we continue to learn. And one of the big pieces that I think we still need to learn is how long lasting or how durable the vaccines are. Right. And so I think today we've heard Dr. Fauci say that, you know, he believes a booster is going to be necessary within about 12 months after your first dose. That's something that we still need to learn a lot more about. And I think, you know, again, that stresses the point uh, of continuing to test. And testing rates, of course, have fallen off. Um, But as we get into the fall and the winter again, and we start to get a sense for when that durability is falling off, testing is going to be that much more important.
0: Very briefly, is there any indication that variants that have developed around the world can make can break through these vaccines? 20 seconds.
3: So far, uh, not so much. Uh, we have seen good efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine in particular and similar reporting from Moderna against all of the variants that we're tracking both in Brazil, South Africa, uh, and India as well.
1: Still with us is Dr. Mario Ramirez, Emergency Physician, Managing Director at Opportunity Labs, former Pandemic and Emerging Threats Coordinator at HHS during the Obama administration. Uh, during, uh, Still with us on the phone from Washington. I'm rushing because I want to get to you because one of the things we want to ask you is a headline crossed about no masks for vaccinated Amazon staff. That's going to, I think, go into effect yeah, next, next week. week. We at our office uh, don't have to wear masks. Uh, and increasingly, we're seeing that. Dr. Ramirez, are you comfortable with that as people kind of go back to quote-unquote normal and take off the mask? Is it okay?
3: Well, so I'll say like a a lot of people, the CDC recommendations caught me a little bit off guard. Uh, You know, and I did think that masks were going to be the last thing to come down. Um, But I have read the data that drove the CDC's recommendations, and I think the science is certainly sound. Uh, You know, the science certainly suggests these vaccines have good efficacy against the different variants that are out there circulating, and we're continuing to see improvement across all of the metrics Uh, and so I think you know again the point of wearing masks and distancing was to get us to a place where we could adequately take care of patients and I think we have approached that point and so it's time to give folks a chance to see that real life is coming back and so I think it's appropriate to give this a try.
0: Yeah and we only have about 30 seconds left but there's still so many people who don't necessarily feel comfortable with that doctor even if they have been vaccinated.
3: Sure, and I, you know, I think that's okay. Uh, you know, like all things in this pandemic, it is a, a learning process, and I think um, it's important for people to observe what happens with the case counts as more and more people take off their masks and develop their own sense of comfort. For the last year and a half, we've been stressing to people yeah. how important it is to wear masks and how important it is to make sure you're staying distant. And so, I think we just need to give people space to feel comfortable taking down their masks when they think it's appropriate. I certainly don't think it harms anyone. To wear a mask and so i think if it takes a little while longer for some people to get comfortable with that that's okay
1: Listen, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Dr. Mario Ramirez, emergency doctor, managing director at Opportunity Labs, joining us on the phone from Washington, D.C. So we've been talking all week long about the how-to issue of Bloomberg Business Week. It is out. There's so many uh, varied and informative pieces of advice in the magazine, so I highly recommend you check it out. But there's another story we wanted to bring to your attention in the new issue. It is this week's remarks, Tim. It's about how China is winning the race to vaccinate the world, at least for now.
0: Yeah. Joining us now in the studio is Joel Weber, editor of Bloomberg Week, And joining us on the phone is John Lauerman, editor at Bloomberg. The editor of this piece, China is winning the race to vaccinate the world. Joel, um, what is the opportunity that China has to use so-called soft power when it comes to vaccinating the developing world?
4: That That is a really interesting term to use um, because this is ultimately a diplomatic weapon hmm. of sorts um, or tool, let's call it. Of who gets whose vaccine, and Covax is sort of the West version of, of a distribution mechanism that can get um, vaccines out in the world. And we're not talking about the Americas, uh, United States of America, so much as Africa, South America, Southeast Asia, a lot of places that don't have the science or resources to get their own version of it. And what we're now seeing is that the Chinese vaccines are basically a huge export export tool and they are flooding the zone and uh, basically being an alternative to what uh u s soft power looks like so so John how is that beginning to play out around the world now that the who um, has uh, you know given a stamp for one of the two chinese vaccines
5: yeah hi thanks for having me so um how so I think we're still <laughs> We're still in the very early stages of this. You know, this is, this is maybe round one or round one and a half of a, uh, of a battle or of a, uh, you know, a, a play that's going to, to take quite some time to play out. You know, China has shipped out, uh, what is it, 256 million doses of vaccine to other countries. Now, the U.S. Uh, has, um, you know, committed to ship, what is it, 80 million so far, and I don't know um, uh, whether they've actually, you know, made any of those donations yet. So China has, at, at the same time that they're doing this, they're they are extracting some diplomatic uh, concessions from the countries that they're going to. Now, they, the the interesting thing about the WHO's clearance of the uh, of the Sinopharm vaccine, one of the two um, government underwritten. Uh, vaccines from China is uh, that um, uh, uh, that vaccine um, is uh,
0: sorry. Um, it's it's well, there. Are, I think there are a lot of wild cards here, John. And, and, yeah. and, and one element that really struck me with this was really two things. One, the way that uh, that it's described as, you know, we don't even know how uh how efficacious the vaccine is especially in the long run but then also this this kind of vaccine diplomacy uh is quote clearly of the hardball variety take me through what that means
5: well uh so as i said they're extracting concessions from these countries at the same time um they warned bangladesh uh and some other countries um uh after they had made um uh after they made uh, vaccine deals um, with China, uh, not to engage with the U.S., not to engage with other countries that were offering vaccine. So um, they've also uh, uh, coaxed um, countries to express or encouraged them to express support for the one China, for the you know the non, not recognizing Taiwan. So they've made moves like this. Um,
0: so it's fair uh, to say oh, strings oh. are attached. Yeah. 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 No, there are definitely strings attached. It's-
1: it reminds me of, you know, all the the moves that China has done in helping infrastructure and in, 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 in the emerging parts of the world. Right. Yeah, and as a Belt result, the
0: Belt and Road Initiative. Exactly. Yeah. And then
1: also having access I to the same thing, commodities. Right. Like developing these relationships and basically making these emerging economies and countries beholden uh, to China, specifically India, John, has got to be watching very closely. I mean, India is the place where so many pharmaceuticals are manufactured.
5: Yeah, and, um, of course, India isn't exporting vaccine right now. Right, um, India wasn't really uh, making any, you know, this this was not a diplomatic uh, tool for them at all. I think, you know, perhaps it may have created some favor for them to export vaccines, but these were not their own vaccines. Uh, these have to be China's own vaccines, They're, you know, domestically produced, domest- domestically developed. So, um, you know, they, these are uh, the Vaccines um, uh, from India, there was one domestically developed uh, vaccine, but um, uh, uh, the other was um, from AstraZeneca. So that's where all that technology came from and was by far the more favored vaccine. But uh, in any case, um, yeah, I think we're going to have to be, you know, keeping a very close eye on India. Now it looks like we won't be seeing a vaccine being exported from India until the end of the year. And India is one of, had been at least one of the major um, sources of vaccine mm-hmm. for lower middle income countries
4: you know the other thing john that i think a lot of people are trying to understand there's been all this conflicting information about how efficacious the chinese vaccines are uh, how, how are you making sense of that especially in light of you know this being a diplomatic tool but one that you know people in, in various countries might not want
5: yeah so i mean that's a really interesting question i mean the the, uh, the Sinopharm vaccine that's uh, been um, authorized by the WHO has uh, you know, actually pretty good numbers, pretty good efficacy numbers. The other vaccine, the Sinovac vaccine that is yet to be authorized by the WHO, and that's actually the point I was going to make earlier, that that has uh, uh, lower efficacy numbers, at least in some of the trials. And so that's a concern because, you know, as we, we've written about, seen um, countries like the Seychelles, that when these vaccines get distributed, there's a possibility that although maybe you're going to see a reduction in hospitalizations and deaths, because that's what these vaccines do, that's what they're tested for, right? But you might not be able to actually um, uh, 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 stop the spread of the virus uh, in the community. So, in other words, you you don't um, you don't get the same benefits out of it in terms of like uh, feelings of public safety or people being able able to take off their mask, or um you know just stopping the virus uh from spreading uh uh locally so you might not be able to get out of the pandemic um quite as quickly That's if this data you know uh, there's there's a lot uh, of questions that still need to be answered like for example in the seychelles we don't know you know exactly Mm. there could be other variants or something it might not be the vaccine that's uh, that's the issue
4: the Seychelles, I think, is um, one that everyone's trying to understand for sure, since there's seems to be, um, you know, a, a lot of uh, of people who have had a vaccine there. But but h- how many do we think have had the Chinese vaccine there? And how, how does that play into what's what's happening in the country?
1: And John, really quickly, 20 seconds. please. Yeah, I, did, yeah, I don't know exactly
5: how that breaks out, but um, I think the WHO is actually starting to look at this issue very closely. And I think that, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be look at, looking at, um, uh, the, you know, the rates, the terms, the, right. um, the method of vaccination, et cetera.
1: We're still finding so much out as we go. John Laraman, editor at Bloomberg in Boston. Jill Weber, editor of Bloomberg Business Week in our interactive broker studio. Check out the remarks.
2: I'm in my car.
6: Is the drive to the close. That punk to music will drive us till the dawn
0: on Bloomberg Radio.
1: Just about uh, 10 and a half minutes left in today's trading session. Uh, it has been quite a day, and I feel like there's been a couple of major themes today. Certainly, cryptocurrencies, Tim, no doubt about that. Uh, watching the equity trade and watching uh, some selling pressure earlier on We're off our lows of the day. And then you had the Fed minutes.
0: Yeah, the Fed minutes. Really, I think the big takeaway from, from those was, well, the timing of them and the fact that they came, that the meeting was actually before uh, the CPI data that we got last week, and also the, the brutal jobs report for April. Um, But there was concern that inflation, at least in the short term, could be pushed up by supply constraints.
1: And even maybe favoring some taper talk at upcoming meetings. And that was before, as you said, those surprising numbers. All right, let's get to it with Ernesto Ramos. He's Chief Investment Officer uh, of the US at BMO Global Asset Management, BMO Global Asset Management, on the phone from Chicago. So Ernesto, good to have you here with Tim and myself. On a day like today, what is it that you ultimately, if you had a major institutional investor talking to you and saying, what do I need to know about a day like today? What do you say to them?
6: Because <laughs> well, you can have your pick of major <laughs>
1: stories. <laughs> I
6: think I think the inflation story is certainly something that we're paying a lot of attention to because uh there's the yin and the yang, you get the strong inflation number, you see all of the the, the, the things that are moving higher like commodities and, and uh and uh but then you also have the the, the weak labor labor market numbers and so we're, but we're paying a lot of attention to inflation because even even at the, at the grocery store level, at the clothing level, my, my wife is a great indicator, tells me that things are really moving higher and, and have been moving higher uh, for the last few months. So, so we're paying a lot of close uh, attention to inflation. Uh, but, but the, the, the real theme that that is important here is that uh, stay focused on not overpaying for stocks. And right now, you saw the junk rally uh, or the, 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 the junkier part of the market that was the value market. Airlines, hotels, and all of that go up very substantially. But now it's, the market is shifting towards rewarding what I call quality value. Companies that are profitable, that have good business models, but that haven't been – are trading at a significant discount. For example, an auto zone, which trades at mm. about 18 times earnings, but has been profitable forever, has bought back 90% of their stock – in the last, uh, over the last, uh, since 1999. So is is it a buyback
1: play, or is it really fundamentals?
6: It's fundamental. Their growth is phenomenal. I mean, it's steady growth. It's not phenomenal growth, as in they're they're growing 30% every year. But but look at all the trends in the market. The used car market uh, is going ballistic here. The prices of used cars are going higher, which means the demand is very strong. They obviously cater to that market. Uh, new cars are suffering from the, the semiconductor shortage, so there's not as many new cars. People want cars because they want to get back to driving after COVID, so they're going and buying used cars, and they're going to benefit from that. So uh, all kinds of uh, trends are in their favor, and except they're not a sexy stock. They're not a, a thematic stock, and so people are, are not paying a lot of attention. But they're if they're, they're, you look at their chart, they're having a little weakness right now, but they they have been moving higher pretty steadily.
0: So, AutoZone. One, um, give me another example of, of one of these quali- uh, one of these quality value stocks that sort of fits fits your definition.
6: Well, the financials. I mean, uh, you yeah. look at, at a company like uh,
0: Citigroup, and
6: now the financials are finally having their day in the sun. But uh, I mean, Citigroup trading at uh, less than 10, ten times earnings, JP Morgan, not not as quite as cheap, but there's they're still doing great because in a higher inflation environment, when the where the Fed is anchoring the low end of the curve down. Their net interest margin with the steepness of the curve goes through the roof. They do very well. Economic activity picking up, that's also very favorable to them. And so um, they're in, in the right spot. And, and you name the financial, the big, the big bank financial, and they're, they're going to be fine. Um, waste management is another company. It's not as cheap, but uh, very steady, very good, high-quality, profitable company. Uh, just steadily going up, and so all these companies that are not in the sexy part of the market, the growth part of the market, the, the you know the high tech and, and and whatnot part of the market, this is what we believe is the right time for them to 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 take the well- lead in the market.
1: If I may jump in for a second, for how long do you do that trade? Because don't I want to, want to ultimately, as an investor, be in the growth area of the market? If I believe with conviction that the growth area of the market is where the growth will be for years, even yep. if it gets yep. a little heady now, do I really care what yep. happens over the next 6 to 12 months? Do I, what I really care is where we are 5 years from now?
6: Absolutely, and and the the question is, do you how much are you willing to pay for that growth? And that's there's nothing wrong with this, you know, the Microsofts of the world, the Apples of the world. There, there's nothing absolutely wrong with them. Uh, Tesla, it's, it's incredibly thematic. It's incredibly based on the personality of one man, and and he's a genius, undoubtedly. But 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 it's priced beyond beyond belief. So you want to own those tech companies, but right now they're priced too expensively for us. So there's there's a price for everything. And right now, we think that a lot of those tech stocks are priced beyond what you would want to pay for them. Uh, so focus right now on what's underpriced. And this is quality is cheap right now, uh, or what I call uh, uh, quality value. So focus on that right now. Uh, there will be a time after we have a more of a continued correction in technology where technology be- will become the right place to be. Uh, I'm not saying sell out of all of your technology. By the way, you want to have allocation to every corner of the market, but you want to be shifting money right now more to the quality value part of the market at the expense of the more uh, uh, expensive growth part of the market. I mean, I know you just kept Kathy Wood, the kinds of companies she owns, we think are not poised to do so well for the next few months because of valuation
0: mostly. She's, of course, got her five-year time horizon, for uh, for those, those right. companies. And, and you know, that's an expectation that she sets, it seems like, very clearly every time we talk to her. I, I, Ernesto, I want to go back to what you said about inflation, because, yeah. you know, that is, that is like, over the last two weeks, this is something that we've been talking about at No, time. not at all. <laughs> well, especially with the data that we got last week. I think it really, it obviously really scared a lot of people. Um, <laughs> and I do wonder to what extent you think it, and I hate to use this term, but... Transitory.
6: transitory.
1: Is Jinx.
6: it... Uh, personally we don't think it's transitory mm. we're, we're we're thinking that it's going to be stickier than that uh because once you get uh, pricing power it, it's harder to go back and, and and as long as the demand is there we don't see any slack in the demand i mean i think the jobs numbers was weak but it was weak for good reasons a lot of people are just not willing to go back to work for whatever reason health concerns or they're getting paid to stay home but nicely and 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 I mean, you see it in chicago where we live we we there's a lot of people anecdotally that are looking for workers to come to their small businesses that are starting to reopen and they can't find people to come and and work at their little stores and little shops because uh whatever you want to call it uh being paid to stay at home or or, or health concerns or whatever but there is a very tight labor market so um that's that's part of the story there and so um but we think the economy is in a very strong track right now. We're probably going to hit over 10% growth with the second quarter GDP uh, growth. So, so we're in a strong track. Now, there are pockets of concern, but uh, we have yeah. to be watchful.
1: All right, Ernesto, we're going to leave it on that note. Thanks so much for your time today. Ernesto Ramos, he's Chief Investment Officer of the US at uh, BMO Global Asset Management on the phone from Chicago with us. So watching the markets, quite a day. Crypto was a story. The Fed minutes were a story. Retail was a story. Uh, it's really going to set us well uh, for you know, tomorrow's trade to see where we go. We are focusing, though, and getting near our highs of the day when it comes to the equity trade, Tim.
0: Yeah, we certainly are. Quite the difference that just a few hours makes.
1: Yeah. Uh, with a day like today. Exactly. If you blink, you kind of miss something.
0: Thanks for listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Download the podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Bloomberg.com.
1: And you can also listen to our radio show at 2 p.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio or watch us on YouTube. Search Bloomberg
4: Global News.